greater than when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Greater than dash Genesis 5 3, the New International Version, NIV for many people. This is one verse they easily read and move on like there isn't a significant event put out there. Others, will notice an epic-making event, outlined in the simplest of sentences there. It is with the latter that I align with, but not without confessing that until a few years back I was with the former group, as can be gleaned from the position I held when I wrote https colon slash 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 2013 06 about 8 years ago, in thinking regarding that passage of the scriptures, before finding out that with the Torah, what is not written is far more than what is, considering the litany of information from the oral Torah, manifold thoughts from the sages, and the accompanying myriad of rabbinical interpretations, Book of Jaffer, Apocrypha, Zohar and the likes. When it is said that one should attain the age of 40 to begin perusing the Kabbalah, even though the literature and tools aren't as hidden today as they were in times past, making it accessible to interested readers of all ages, it isn't for no reason. The mind at this age would appear to be more receptive than it could have been any time before that, though there's always space for exceptions to the rule. Interestingly, my curiosity regarding the paternity of Cain was piqued by this verse, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. 1 John 3:12, the New International Version, NIV. Which can be easily read, as one rests other verses of Scripture simplistically without thinking deeply about it. Cain is said to belong to the evil one? How does he not belong to Adam? Is the writer here insinuating something sinister with respect to Cain's conception? Interestingly, when I wrote about what happened in the Garden of Eden eight years ago, in my Bible Stories treatise, the first in the series, I had suggested that the forbidden fruit story may just be a veil over the actual, so it might not seem as if a holy book is starting off with porn, for lack of a better word. I've come across literature and presentations that surmises that what happened between Eve and the serpent was akin to sexual intercourse if not exactly the like, or in the least something that enabled the serpent deposit part of itself or characteristics, if you like, DNA into the woman, such that though it couldn't have resulted into pregnancy, it was strong enough to ensure that when Adam slept with Eve, she conceived and gave birth to Cain, with characteristics not wholly human. Some argue that Cain was serpentine or reptilian, possessing a larger percentage in likeness to the serpent, than he was human, and because Eve hadn't been totally rid of that impurity from the serpent by the time she birthed Abel, he also was serpentine, difference been that he tended to be more human than Cain was. It must therefore have been that the absence of certain of these features possessed by Cain and Abel and Seth, which resulted in the latter possessing features in the likeness and image of Adam, informed the mention of it in Genesis 5-3, while keeping mum on such situation regarding Seth's brothers. Hence my retort on how, it isn't enough to read about what was written in Scripture without paying attention to what isn't mentioned. It is not difficult to assume that Abel would be more humane than Cain who is expected to be more bestial, based on the level of corruption or impurity in the makeup of them both, Therefore when the first case of farmer herder clash recorded in the Bible occurred, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Dash, Genesis 4 8. Have you ever wondered how Cain got to make a home and build his family? Again, we go back to what is unsaid, and likely, though conjecture, that Adam and Eve continued to have more children, and Cain could have married any of the females amongst those, seeing as nothing was wrong with marrying one sibling back then not so much to choose from you'd say, and they also lived longer, with enough time to wait for the females to attain adulthood, or teenage before going off to live with a man, or whatever marriage or cohabitation with intention to populate the earth meant then. 
Again, because nothing was mentioned about these offsprings, especially as it was not out of place to find the Bible not giving a mention to female offspring, unless in exceptional cases, including their likeness and image to Adam, it can be surmised that these offsprings, because of the impurity from the serpent, continue to look more like Cain and Abel, and by extension the serpent, than like Adam, or even Eve. It became noteworthy to mention Seth, because he was something different from the so-called norm, which was in actual sense, the abnormal, like much of life, as presently constituted is. Seth was the new hope of mankind, such that as Cain went on to breed his kind with varying serpentine human combinations, Seth and his descendant who were 100% humans also increased in number. As time went on, we are then informed about the birth of females, and like I said earlier this is mentioned in exceptional cases, like when the story cannot continue without a mention of the contribution made by females there, which in this case involves the fallen angels who see how beautiful these women are and go on to mate with them, producing giants, known in those days as Nephilim. By Noah's time the earth must have been inhabited by humans, 100%, serpentine variants, part human, part serpent, and the Nephilim, at variance with Yahweh's plan on earth filled with mankind, whose purpose is to continue his work of creation. The environment man found himself in back then must be such that seeing he was the weakest of the human-like species, to join them, rather than beat them. It must therefore be Herculean to have a Noah, and a few others that insisted on continuing to do good, and maintaining a relationship with the Creator. Yahweh's focus continued to remain with man whom he made, those were his primary responsibility but unfortunately whether they were influenced or not to embrace evil, they reserved the right to choose to be good, like Noah, and his family, or be otherwise like the majority. This is why mankind couldn't be exonerated when Yahweh saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 6 5. If what is happening with mankind now, is reminiscent of the days of Noah, why did Yahweh promise, as recorded in Genesis 8:21, never again, to curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood? Could it be that the deluge served as an opportunity to wipe out the Nephilim, as well as Cain's impure race? Leaving man, regardless of his imperfections, to work at perfecting his relationship with his Creator? The beginning leaves many questions than answers even within the Torah or the Bible itself, and without when you consider alternate beliefs, theories and hypotheses, but for me the end is that it is Yahweh's will, and it is our gain if we learn from the twists, to find in the din our purpose and follow it to the latter. This post will be incomplete if I don't add my take on the discussion on Noah's righteousness. It has been suggested that had Noah come in the time of Abraham, or Moses, he couldn't have been counted as righteous, or even if righteous he couldn't have been as righteous as the aforementioned duo. This is premised on the account that he appeared to lack empathy, in doing nothing to save other humans besides members of his family. In comparison, even when Abraham had the opportunity to save his nephew Lot, he was portrayed as seeking a means to secure safe passage for more people, Genesis 18:24-33, though they failed to meet up with the standard Yahweh required for instance. In the case of Moses, when Yahweh wanted to do away with the Israelites and start a new covenant with Moses and his family, Exodus 32 9-14, he would have none of it, rather he pleaded, till Yahweh changed his mind, notwithstanding that it was apparent that the children of Israel would remain impervious to his admonitions, seeing as they are a stiff-necked people. Maybe we may not be too right in saying Noah was selfish, in that not only his immediate nuclear family made it into the ark, but his daughters-in-law, wives to his sons, also made it, unlike Lot who couldn't even manage to save sons-in-law for his daughters, as they made for safety from Sodom, before it was destroyed alongside Gomorrah. It could also be that Noah was the sort of guy that obeyed Yahweh without questions, seeing as trying to bring in more people than was required of him, 
could also mean him questioning some other aspects of the instructions, like the size of the ark, or even trying to understand how the contraption he built could have accommodated all of his world's animals, and birds, not to talk of how the occupants of the ark would be fed etc. to show you how interested Yahweh was in seeing that Noah carried out his instructions to the latter, and how it could have been impossible for Noah to have acted otherwise even if he wanted to, it was Yahweh himself, who shut the door of the ark. Kavich. Picture credit. HTTPS colon slash slash www.istockphoto.com HTTPS colon slash slash www.jw.org slash n slash HTTPS colon slash slash jewishbusinessnews.com <laughs>